five years after the Rohingya fled the worst ethnic violence in Myanmar, India says they have to go back. Could New Delhi's refugee policy come under international scrutiny? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This is episode 76 and this is the issue we are discussing today as this week marks the fifth anniversary of the biggest migration of Rohingya refugees who faced what the United Nations actually calls state-sponsored genocide as more than 700,000 fled to neighboring Bangladesh from Myanmar and to other countries around the world. The issue has certainly reopened the debate over uh, India's refugee policy. And again this week, after a tweet by the Minister of Urban Development who praised India's decision to house the Rohingyas, this was a decision that was quickly cut down by the Ministry for Home Affairs. So we're going to discuss a little bit about why this is such a big issue and take a closer look at what India's refugee policy actually is. Now, many of these things are well known, some of them not so well known. The first, of course, is that India has not signed the 1951 UN Convention relating to the status of refugees, nor has it signed the protocol relating to the status of refugees of 1967, which really updated the 1951 one. It deals really with asylum seekers and refugees under the same way it deals with illegal migrants or other migrants under the Foreigners Activities Act, the Passport Act, as well as the Citizenship Act of, of that time. Now, India does follow some conventions, the United Nations conventions, on refugees that actually arise from other treaties and conventions that it has actually signed. So what are those? There's the Universal Declaration of Human Rights to begin with from 1948, the UN Declaration of Territorial Asylum in 1967, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights that India signed in 1966, and India signed the International Convention Against Torture, has not yet ratified it, but this too has clauses that can be used um, as far as refugees are concerned. However, despite not signing any of those others, India is an executive committee member of the UNHCR. It cooperates with the UN High Commission of Refugees in India as well and is on that executive body that makes recommendations. The fourth is that India has historically prided itself on being a land of refuge. So even if it doesn't sign any of these policies on paper, it has actually followed the spirit, that's what Indian governments have said, from Zoroastrians or Parsis since the 12th century, persecuted Christians, Jews in the World War, etc. Everyone has found a home in India and even today India supports nearly 250,000 refugees, including of course the Tibetans who fled the Chinese control since the 1950s, they've been coming to India, approximately 108,000 of them, over 100,000. Sri Lankan refugees since the 1980s, approximately 95,000, of which about 25,000 are working in India and the rest are in camps. There are Afghan refugees who fled the Taliban rule in 1996. And although India has not accepted any, any of them since the Taliban retakeover last year, there are more than 15,000 Afghan refugees here. Then, of course, even from Myanmar, India gave shelter to democracy activists. Aung San Suu Kyi actually studied in India as well. Chin ethnicities in Mizoram in particular, other groups since the 1990s, we have seen many uh, Myanmar ethnicities come to India, many have returned as well. And, and then, of course, there are Rohingya refugees themselves. They have come in waves to India. There was one wave, most notably in 2012. At that time, the government decided 
to relocate them to various states, spread them out a bit, Jammu, Kashmir, Haryana, Andhra Pradesh and other states. But then there is the problem of the Rohingyas in India today. Remember, this is a decades-old problem. The Rohingya Muslims were actually declared stateless by the Myanmar military rulers, the junta, since 1982. They have been persecuted as outsiders for decades, as foreigners living in Myanmar, but they have been there for more than a century. Now, India has about today, has about 40,000 Rohingya refugees, including those who fled here earlier and then in that wave of violence in 2012 and then in 2017. India itself does not refer to them as refugees. You may have noted that it calls them illegal foreigners. About half of these numbers, about 20,000 actually registered with the UN High Commission for Refugees. So technically they have an official space, but the government doesn't recognize it. Of course, India is one of the many countries in, uh, that have actually taken the Rohingya in and given them shelter. There's Bangladesh, which is well known, has more than a million Rohingya refugees now. It's becoming a big problem for the country. Pakistan had about 500,000. Saudi Arabia took in about 190,000. Uh, Malaysia took one and a, uh, 150,000. The UAE took about 50,000. And there are others. But all of these countries that I mentioned actually have more Rohingya refugees at present than India does. Rohingya in India live in a number of Indian states, as I said, including Delhi. The government this week very significantly walked back from a plan to try and rehouse about 1,100 Rohingya into an apartment block that had earlier been used for COVID quarantine. The government had felt that uh, the state government had certainly felt that this was an area that could be used. It seemed as if the central government agreed, but then a stern note came from the Home Ministry. And here's what the Home Ministry essentially said, that the Rohingya who would, were staying in these shantytown camps in the, on the outskirts of Delhi would not actually be rehoused. They should continue to live in those camps. Secondly, that their current camps, it's an open-air camp, should be declared a detention center and pending the process of deportation, that the process of deporting the Rohingyas would be continued by India. India has thus far in the last few years sent back more than a dozen Rohingyas. So it's not a big number, but many of them were sent back against their will and they were separated from their families that live here, particularly one case this year that was taken up by human rights agencies. So the first question one needs to ask really about India's refugee policy. There's a policy that is that works on the ground, regardless of whether that policy is actually in paper. But the first question to ask, of course, is the historic one. Why is India not a signatory to the International Refugee Convention of 1951 and the 1967 Protocol? Because clearly this is a big issue. Many have written that India must now sign that convention. But originally, India objected to the convention. They called it Eurocentric, as it only dealt with those that were made homeless in the world wars in Europe. That was the 1951 Protocol. It was then amended later in 1967. But at that time, it was really for European refugees, most notably the large number of Jewish refugees who were leaving Germany, Austria, Poland and other countries. Later, of course, the complexities of the Palestine question came up after about 750,000 Palestinians were ousted from Israel after the 1948 conflict. This also strengthened India's decision to stay away from the conventions. The partition of India brought its own terminology. And of course, India does not see the 10 million migrants that came from West and East Pakistan as refugees and didn't want to complicate that 
by making international sort of terminology of it. The fourth, that India has such porous borders, this is what the government said, especially in the Northeast, that government said it was impossible to properly evaluate and secure the borders for refugees. Now, refugees flee a, a specific threat. You know, it's a threat against their ethnicity, against their religion and other identities. And these are separate, of course, from economic migrants. And India has said that it cannot afford to allow unregulated entry of migrants that may come as refugees. The fifth point that India has made is over the decades, the government has pointed out that India has done more than its fair share in terms of taking care of refugees from the region. While the more than 140 countries, I think it's 149 countries, particularly from the developed world, that are signatories to the convention have not kept their promises. From 1 million in 1951, today the UN estimates nearly 21 million refugees. While 68% of these originate from just five countries. So what are those big five countries? Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan, South Sudan and Myanmar. 86%, nearly all of them are hosted actually by developing countries. So there is a double standard here and you have heard that double standard play out earlier with the Ukraine war and the refugees coming from the Ukraine war and how easily they were uh, taken in into European homes, unlike the Syrians and other refugees. In 2019, and this changed matters quite a bit, the Modi government brought in the Citizenship Amendment Act. It fast-tracks non-Muslim, religiously persecuted minorities that come from Afghanistan, Pakistan and Bangladesh, who had arrived in India before 2015, it fast-tracks them for citizenship. Now, the law would not have been permissible under the International Refugee Convention as it discriminates on religion. So another reason why the present government doesn't want to sign on. However, the government has not actually framed its rules for the Citizenship Amendment Act yet. And some of even those beneficiaries that were meant to have benefited from the amendment have had to leave, have had to re return to countries like Pakistan because their long-term visas have run out. The seventh reason the present government has justified also the deportation of refugees, including the Rohingya on the basis of not having signed the Refugee Convention. It also claims that uh, particularly the uh, Rohingya are an economic threat and quote unquote a national security threat. So then the question, why is there even a debate today? When all these reasons have been given, what kind of international pressure could India face and what might actually work over its refugee policy? So should India be worried? The first is if India continues to deport the Rohingya. So one part is whether you accept refugees. The second part is what kind of treatment refugees face in your country. But the third is the idea of deporting the Rohingyas, particularly while violence continues in Myanmar. And in fact, it is the Myanmar junta that was responsible, the military that was responsible for the attacks, the rapes, the killings on the Rohingya community. Those that very military is today in power after a coup in Myanmar. So if India continues to deport the Rohingya there, it could be held accountable for violating what is called the principle of non-refoulement, not sending refugees back to danger. And that is something that India has signed up for under the torture convention. So not the refugee law itself, but the international principle of non-refoulement. Second, 2022, this year is actually the year of the five yearly universal periodic review of India, the UPR as it's called, at the Human Rights Council. Now, this will consider the treatment of refugees as well as other human rights issues and India's record will be taken up in a report on November 10th of this year. 
then in December of 2022, India's will end its two-year term at the UN Security Council as a non-permanent member. It will once again have to go back to ensuring that support from P5 members on resolutions that could be critical of India's action. So things will change from January 1st. In 2023, India will host the G20 summit, also other big summits like the SEO, and any international scrutiny will really be a sensitive issue as a host country has to ensure the full participation of all G20 members. And finally, Bangladesh Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina will visit India in early September, so just in a few weeks from now. And, and she had earlier indicated that she would definitely raise the Rohingya issue with Prime Minister Modi when she visits India. Now, Bangladesh has, of course, been calling for greater international efforts to ensure the safe repatriation of the Rohingyas to Myanmar. But given that New Delhi and Nepito, or the Myanmar capital, have a very special security relationship, and we've discussed this on earlier worldviews with you, the government has not so far played that regional leadership role. Uh, in fact, a country like China has actually brokered talks between Bangladesh and Myanmar. So India can justifiably claim that it has a historic role in giving shelter to those who have fled violence and persecution in, in, in this neighborhood. But its aspirations of global leadership will fall short of being realized if it is seen as taking a discriminatory position in the present time. As comments, international comments on government actions with regard to the Citizenship Amendment Act, the CAA, on the Rohingya itself, as well as on Afghan refugees that tried to come in after the Taliban took over Afghanistan, those have all shown this. Eventually, it is a reaffirmation of Indian values rather than global pressure that will show the way on India's refugee policy and the debate over the need for a refugee law in India. So let's get you some reading recommendations. Of course, the UN website includes all the links to the most important conventions, protocols and treaties that I've been speaking about. On the parlay this week at The Hindu, I actually spoke to two experts, a diplomat and a human rights activist about the Rohingya problem in India, particularly the legal aspects. And you can find the transcript and the podcast of that as well on the Hindus website here. So let's look at some books. There are two academic works, but these are really a must read if you're interested in Indian and international refugee law. One is the Routledge Handbook of Refugees in India. This is edited by someone called Irudai Rajan, who's himself written about this, as well as the Oxford Handbook of International Refugee Law. Now there are specific books on the Rohingya, because of course this is a problem that the world has confronted in the last few years. Uh, one is called The Rohingyas, Inside Myanmar's Ge Genocide by Azim Ibrahim. Uh, this book is interesting. Also, it has a foreword by the Nobel laureate Mohammed Yunus. Uh, then there's Myanmar's Rohingya Genocide, Identity, History and Hate Speech. This is by an Irish-Australian writer. He's called Ronan Lee. He's a scholar. He's an activist uh, who focuses really on the Rohingya problem. And then by a Myanmar uh, scholar as well. It's called The Hidden History of Burma race, capitalism, and the crisis of democracy in the 21st century. And this is by Tant Min Tu, who is, of course, uh, famously, uh, he's an author, but he's also the grandson of the United Nations Secretary General Utan. Now, let me get you some books on partition uh, refugees in particular, who became citizens of India. One is called Boundaries and Belonging, Rehabilitating Refugees in India, 1947 to 71 in particular. This is by scholar Pallavi Chakravarti. Then there's something called Making Refugees in India by Ria Kapoor. This is a very short book, a monograph, really. And then we come to the international look at international law as well as refugee policy. The most famous one is really called Refuge, Rethinking Refugee Policy in a Changing World 
by Paul Collier and Alexander Betts. And they really focused on also the benefits from refugees coming and joining the economy. There's another book called No Refuge, Ethics and the Global Refugee Crisis by Serena Parikh. Really well worth a read. And then a really, really heartwarming book uh, that has been written by refugees themselves. Famous refugee authors have written on refugees' lives, and it's called Displaced. Uh, it's edited, actually, by novelist and famous American professor Viet Thanh Nguyen, who's uh, really made a superb account of his own travels to America and spoken about the other refugees. So we certainly hope you enjoy reading all our recommendations. And do join us again here on Worldview from the team. Thanks for watching.